Well, we usually start with random banter, Cameron. What can we talk about that's been going on in your life that's not, uh, I don't know, relevant at all to film? Oh, gosh. I don't, then nothing's happened in my life. I'm confined to a desk all day. That's what I've been doing. You're just like um, the guy from The Apartment, which you watched a few weeks ago. I'm also a little bit like the 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 guy in this in this uh, movie, <laughs> where he's like, "I'm just trying to get out of Albuquerque." <laughs> I guess so, but I for you, it's San Francisco. <laughs> I need <It's>... my big break. <laughs> it's San Francisco. I um honestly, my week has consisted of me attempting to finish the Snyder Cut um, because of oh, no. the uh, the HBO pass that you've given me. It has it has been a journey, and I don't hate it, but it's uh, it's long. I've been unable to finish it. Let's just put it there. That's what I heard. I heard it was not terrible, but it was it was definitely. I heard it was an improvement from the theatrical release for sure. But it was just like stupid long, and also I don't really understand the whole four three four three thing. I don't really get why he, why he released it in that because you could tell like. Looking just from some of the screenshots, you're like, oh, it was just like the raw, like that was just the raw camera footage, basically. Like they didn't, they they framed it so that they could crop. They framed it with like, you know, the bars on the screen. Yeah, um, I, because anamorphic is stretching, right? Like that's. Yeah, they didn't stretch it, obviously, because it's a digital format. Um, So they just crop, they just framed it where they, like they have the the top and bottom bars. Um, oh, it's a good thing this is on video because you could see it. You know, so like instead of the, it being like this, which is what the camera records, they just framed it with guidelines on it. You got to tell the audio listener because not everybody's watching on video. In any case, it doesn't really matter. Um, but I will say, I will say, I think the four by three adds a lot in terms of like making me feel like I'm watching the old Justice League cartoon. That's that's yeah. honestly the the biggest draw for me and the framing with it. And uh it's it's been entertaining to watch, especially like just the comparisons and the the um the trail or or the mind of an editor kind of comes out when when watching. I do a lot of video editing for my actual job, so it's it's interesting to sort of compare and contrast. I'm not watching them side by side and I'm not that committed to actually go back and watch the awful Josh Sweden version. <laughs> yeah. Um but it is it is definitely more enjoyable. And I, I like watching it with my brother who enjoys watching Justice League, like the cartoon. We both really enjoy the original cartoon. So I think it would be interesting to see it like in IMAX probably because it that's it like takes up the whole IMAX frame. Um I think that would be cool, but other than that, I I just I have no interest in watching it, and Juzo is gonna try to force me later on. So, you know, lucky lucky me, I can't wait for that day. <laughs> I like I honestly don't know. I I think the reason people are talking about it so much is that it's substantially more passable than the original mm-hmm. cut, right? Yeah, and I'm so like just it's. It's just enjoyable. It's nothing more than that. I don't. I really don't think people are gonna say that this movie is incredible. I I don't know why. I think there's a toxic fan base around it. I just I don't know. I I I think it's getting a lot of attention because nothing like this has really 
happened in recent memory, I think. Like, I mean, I know there's a ton of different cuts of Blade Runner things, but this is like a very different movie. Like, yeah. um, just in the way that the characters are presented and, and sort of the, I guess like at the end of the day, it's still a big guy trying to blow up the planet, but <laughs> it's so much more enjoyable to have characters who seem like they have a consistent line of motivation, you know, like what more normal characters should have. So, yeah, not just like total nonsense that it was in in justice like i i absolutely hated that movie anyways i don't want to talk about it anymore uh because it makes me sad hello and welcome to cinema spectator a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon today's film we watched ace in the hole directed by billy wilder starring kirk douglas and jan sterling my name is cameron tuttle and i'm joined with isaac ransom isaac how are you doing I'm doing good. I'm I'm on Team Juzo. Let's get Cameron to watch the Snyder Cut. <laughs> let's do it. We'll do a let's do a live stream or something. It's gonna happen. I'm I'm gonna watch it eventually. Yeah, but it's I'm not looking forward to that day. Well, the the story behind that actually is that Juzo, um, for all of the terrible DC movies, he didn't do it with the good one, which is Wonder Woman, the first one. But for all the terrible ones, he drags me to the movie theaters. And since this didn't come out, we could just have a you know. A shebang. I think but. it would be fun to, to live stream. I don't know if we're going to be like taken down for it or something like that, but we'll do we'll do something around it. I think that'd be a good time or commentary. I think it would be fun because you know I'm sure we would make fun of it, or maybe not. Maybe we'd be interested. Who knows? Yeah. So I'm a casual. That's why I keep bringing up Justice League <laughs> and not this black and white movie with actors I'm supposed to know. So yeah. Uh, hello. Welcome. Welcome to the show. It's good. I've been watching that. Cameron, what have you been watching this week? Um, I have been watching absolutely nothing. I tried to think about it because I was like, I was like, man, I thought I saw something this week. Like I I thought I watched something. And I realized I just didn't. Uh, we talked about the film that I watched, which is Nomadland. Um, but I'm gonna go I'm planning on going see uh Minari on Saturday. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that'll be good. And that, that's kind of the last of the ones that I wanted to, to watch. Um, I was thinking about watching, uh, Promising Young Woman, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to catch that. Um, but yeah, in any case, uh, what, what is the experience in the movie theaters? Cause you know, California is slowly but surely beginning to open up around COVID. I'm assuming you got to wear a mask unless you buy food. So everyone's buying food. Obviously. Yeah. Um yeah, it's 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 actually not that bad. I mean, the last two movies that I saw were I I saw them both actually around the time that they came back to so like um The Father started playing in theaters I think either the day before or that day that I went and saw it. Um and uh I saw um I saw Nomadland when it opened on Friday um for th- th- theatrical release. So yeah, so it it was supposed to be like I mean, you know, that's the biggest time that people are going to see the movies is like right around when they when they start, you know. Um and there was like nobody. It was it was like me and five other people maybe uh in both of those screenings. And you know, I got popcorn and just hung out. It was it was awesome cuz there's, you know, the the worst thing about movie theaters is is the other people. Um, I guess I go to a pretty small theater, but 
I <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, the people it's, they ruin it. Yeah, it's yeah. true. They do. I mean, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, if you're going to if you're going to the theater right now, it's like it's a nice, pleasant, enjoyable experience because there's nobody else there. Um, uh, they used to they used to sell like beer and and like other snacks and whatnot, um, like you know nicer things at that theater. And now they're really just doing popcorn, but. Um, that's all right. I, I still like popcorn. So, so is there movie like, or, or are there movies that are coming out currently that you would recommend people go see if they want to get out and do something? Because I, as far as I knew, I mean, you're talking about watching some. You go to a smaller theater. I'm assuming it's probably more cinema friendly, like like your high class of cinema. I don't know, but I w- I was thinking that they were just playing reruns of Trolls. Like, am I missing something? No. Or- um. So. It depends, obviously, on the theater that you're going to. My theater that's really close to me, it's the Daily City um, Cinemark right next to my house. So it, it, it's like uh, it's like a major chain. Um, they were showing, you know, smaller movies. I think there's not a lot happening right now. So if you could find The the Father in the, th- in the theaters, I would highly recommend it. Um, yeah, that's that's what I would tell you to go see right now. Cool. Well, awesome. Yeah, I've just been watching uh, the Snyder Cut and this movie that we're gonna talk about to conclude our month all around Wilder. Which I'm I'm honestly sad to see him go, but we're gonna have to watch <laughs> something else because I'm I've really enjoyed his movies and I think we'll have some interesting conversations around. This one, again, this is Cinema Spectator. You can support us at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. Throw a couple dollars, get an exclusive commentary track. Each month, you get access to all the ones we've already done. The show's been going for a while, so so there's some good ones in there. You can also have your questions submitted to the show and have the ability to vote on films that we watch each month. This month's was voted on um, somewhat, but kind of overruled juzo was the only one that voted for the patreon this month guys come on patrons you have a you have a voice you can use it um but he picked a film that was difficult to get a hold of cameron and i just wanted to disclose it openly uh, just so everyone knows what was that film yeah so that was a foreign affair um right now it's really difficult to stream it uh which is too bad because i i really enjoy that film i have it on blu-ray juzo actually sent it to me on blu-ray so shout out to him um however uh it was just going to be too hard to like pass it off between us and since we weren't able to stream it or even you couldn't even like buy it on digital um at all so yeah so it was it was too bad um i would have i would have i mean this is a great choice too so all anything that we would have watched i i would have been happy with um but i would definitely you know i i don't know we're not talking to the right crowd necessarily, but uh, th- this is a movie that is like super forgotten. A foreign affair is, and uh, it shouldn't be. So, if there's any way that you can say, like, you know, text your local film person to to spread the word about this movie, like, it's it's really good. I I really highly appreciate it. Um, it's one that I'm sad to see doesn't have the recognition uh, that it it should and part of it i think is because it's it's really just it doesn't have distribution um i'm not sure why i i don't know so yeah i definitely want to watch it because of how positive my experience with wild wilder movies has been this month and 
I think we'll come back around to it. I really the the biggest difficulty was I was gonna take it on the weekend and watch it, and then we were thinking, okay, do we ship it back? Do we have time to drive and commute and hand it off? Like it was getting kind of extreme, and so I was like, you know what? We've been talking about Ace in the Hole all month. Let's just let's make the call. Let's overturn Juzo, <laughs> and you know what? Next time you guys will just have to have a riot and a public beheading to get what you guys need. So, I mean, you don't even vote anyways. We might as well act like the royal family. You it's know? the so. executive decision. Also, to be fair, since Juza was the only one voting this month, he did say, um, he said, which one should I pick? <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, yeah, you can give us uh, money on Patreon if you want to and, you know, maybe get ripped off. Who knows? No, we try to we try to have open communication. I I, I do want to just sorry before we get into everything else. Um, I do want to just shout out uh, that Jessica Walter. We're both um, uh, Arrested Development fans, Isaac. And yeah. I don't know if you heard Jessica I Walter, did. the mom, passed away um, today. So I just wanted to shout out that because it's a really sad, um, definitely a sad passing. She's she's such a, a an iconic person, iconic character. Um, so yeah, she will definitely be missed, but wanted she was to like drop dead hilarious in that show. So funny. Honestly. So funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I wanted to shout that out before we kept going with the show, but, um, yeah. Are you ready to talk about Ace in the Hole? Yeah, let's do it. I know we did a bunch of the, uh, basically announcements going into the show. I think it's time to do it. Ace in the Hole. Yeah. So Ace in the Hole st- follows a story about a sort of out-of-work journalist who's very conniving, very schemy, um, and he's really looking for his his big break in in sort of the journalism world that will get him accepted back into that into that field. Um, he stops at a, at a small newspaper in in Albuquerque to just have a job. Honestly, it's it's really he's he's desperate at that point, um, and he. You know, he gets a job at this at this small newspaper, and eventually, through a a, a series of the you know happenstance events, he happens upon a story that is going to be what he sees is uh, as his big break. Um, and the story that he comes across is that a man is stuck in a cave, um, and there you know there's there's sort of a a hoopla about trying to get him out and he's he's basing his you know his idea about this being a, a Pulitzer Prize winning winning story about a previous story that actually was was real um there's some trivia about that one but I'll get to it later um yeah and so he you know he hypes it up through the media machine and through a series of rapidly spiraling ev- events, um, things go not a- exactly as he planned. Uh, and yeah, that's kind of the introduction to this movie. I would say, so in terms of, of Wilder's career, this was one of his first low points um, in terms of, of critical reception and audience reception. It was very much a hated movie at the time. Um, he was coming right off the heels of, of Sunset Boulevard. He was still at Paramount, but after Sunset Boulevard, he he kind of had bad blood with with Paramount with the studio, and part of it was that they felt like he was he was insulting them. They felt like he was insulting their legacy, and so this movie came out. But because it was such a a success and such a hit, he was actually given a lot of freedom when it came to this movie. Uh, in in the in the production of it. 
Um, now, when this movie first came out, it completely flopped. People hated it. Got terrible critics' reviews. And um, Paramount tried to pivot, and without with, without asking Wilder, they actually renamed this movie to The Big Carnival uh, to try to draw audience support. And uh, yeah, it's uh, he was very insulted by that, obviously. But um, this was this was sort of part of the bru- this was like almost the height of the beef between him and and the studios and Louis B Mayer and you know it was it was sort of the this was this was like leading up to the big blowout moment which happened actually at the next movie Stalag 17 so um but this is this is Wilder right off of the the heels of Sunset Boulevard this is kind of him in his prime so with that pretext Isaac Let's just jump into the movie. What did you think? Yeah, it was great to sort of see the beginning of something that was disliked by Wilder. I mean, Sunset Boulevard is a well-known movie just in its name. I think a lot of people know the road and they recognize its iconic presence, whether or not they've seen it. Um, So to sort of see a big budget follow-up was intriguing because of the context that I have and and doing the this show. I like Ace in the Hole. I don't think it's my favorite film that I've seen from Wilder. And I can kind of understand maybe how some people didn't enjoy it that much. But to its credit, I do think that the movie has these like deep and very like interesting ideas that the characters kind of throw out and just let linger and and they go out into what is happening around them some deep moral conundrums occur in this film and i really enjoy how there's this playful banter between all the characters experiencing um the events of this movie right i just continue to come back to how much or or how excellent Wilder pushes the actors and characters to be on screen. It is it is so enjoyable to watch despite, you know, maybe other flaws in the film. I think one of the things that really put me off for this movie from the beginning was sort of the setting. I don't know what it was, but I didn't expect it. And I don't think that that's wrong of Wilder to go in this direction, but it's a very strange like Red Dead Redemption setting that like I I don't know there was just something off about it from the beginning it reminded me of touches that I'd seen in um, Bonnie and Clyde which is a movie we watched towards the beginning of the show it was it was just I I really think the big thing is that it's just not something you expect and I'm not saying it's surprising in the way that Wilder does some of his other movies but it's just I, I came at it with the things that I knew about him and even trying to put myself in the shoes of someone that had seen Sunset Boulevard, right? It feels like a movie in a distant land to a degree, but then it drops all these relevant, impactful ideas throughout it. And there's this kind of discomfort in it where it's like he's spitting truth, right? And, but it still feels far away in in this strange sort of I, I don't know there's something mixed about it like um 
nothing about this movie felt homey and there wasn't a lot of there were a lot of characters that I had that thing where it was like I know someone like that that I've had a lot with other Wilder movies it was more like I understand these characters and they're well portrayed it felt way more sterile I think instead mm. of like heart piercing but to its to its credit like there are these incredible lines like where um Kirk Douglas's character is talking about like you know uh bad news is good news you know like bad news sells the best, right? Or nobody the the whole the whole thing about like nobody cares about a group; they all care about the individual. But it's not that they care about the individual; it's that he cares about the individual, right? Like there's all these these little details that are like cementing the Wilder style, right? Um, so I feel a tad conflicted on it because I it's not a movie that I want to jump up and down and watch again, and I can almost understand why people have this disconnect with it, but. There's also so much to enjoy about it, too. There's a lot of cool things. Towards the end, it's crazy and bombastic. You get this small touch of, like, uh, some like it hot in its finale, and the budget is going wild, right, with all these extras and just crazy. The crazy carnival scene at the end is just um, fantastic, and I think that kind of leads into my final thought with the movie is that I think this is one of the most beautiful Wilder movies I've seen visually. Um Yes, Sunset Boulevard has iconic, weird, cool stuff. The pool, I can't get out of my head, right? Um, the apartment has this subtle style that sticks with you where um, you'll never forget the office scene of him sitting, right? There's there's a cool, there's just this coolness about the office that I love, right? Or uh, the apartment, sorry. Um, and this movie has a, like, fairy not fairy tale, but there's something that is kind of mystic about its setting and cinematography from that like kind of crazy looking ruined cave, you know, like there's just something like it, it makes my gut turn the same way that if you've played this game, like shadows of the Colossus does where there's just something ancient and, um, interesting about it. And all the shots are like composed around this, this abandoned, like cave that's supposed to be linked to native americans right and then to see there there are just like these very interesting shots of when um kirk douglas is talking about bad news right and he's sitting in the car next to um the the photography kid that he's working with right uh he's talking to them and they're like well let's it's right when they get there and he's like let's go see what's going on and the camera's on kirk douglas and then the car peels off and it puts the cave like in the upper um right of the screen as the car goes i'm like dude this shot is great or there's that incredible scene after um kirk douglas tells everyone to to get out of the area right where he's walking the shot is from low and you see all these people passing him and he's like kind of limping and going and it's just this long shot on him i'm like this movie is is um it's just it just looks great everything around that out outdoor cave area to me is um it's just if it kind of feels like that liminal space, like there, it's, I don't know, like you're drawn to it. I think that's kind of like unique for Wilder to do with a setting. I feel so conflicted about the setting because I'm not used to Wilder using the setting in, in such a, um, intre- like an interesting or almost alluring manner. Yeah. I, I, I'm a little all over the place on no, what no, I'm no, talking no. about, but. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that because, um, well, one of my 
biggest hurdles with this movie or, you know, um, sort of falling in love with this movie. Cause I, I do, I do think it's really great. Um, and I think it's one of, it's definitely his most cynical movie or at least one of them. Um, and it's definitely one of his most like biting and dark and like, really it doesn't have a lot of humorous elements. It's really about sort of the, the darkness that it's, is, in humanity and, and sort of it's, it's definitely one of his most serious movies. Um, and so I think for me, that's one of the, that's one of the reasons why it's like, it's a little tougher to get into this movie than it is for, for some of his other ones, I would say. Um, but I, I actually love the setting. I think it's, I think it's beautiful. It's like, so it's so desolate and, um, and like, it feels like ravaged almost. And then, you know, when there's all when there's so many people, um, you know, it's like full of life all of a sudden and like weirdly jovial and it still feels like really haunting and very, um, like depressing. And then at the end, there's just that shot of, of the dad. Um, Oh yeah. That's, that is such a great shot. And it's so, it's so devastating. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I love the setting. I, th- I think it's, it's one of the, the best aspects of the movie. Um, for me, uh, I, I want to touch on one of the things that, um, we normally talk about, which is the characters. Um, the characters in this movie are all extremely unlikable. Um, which is which is a little bit different for for Wilder, I would say. Um, most of his characters, even if they're villains or even if they're you know people who are, um, you know, pe- people who shouldn't be looked up to, most of the time they're they're usually likable or they usually have something that that you kind of um, attach with. This movie really, I think, purposefully makes everybody the bad guy, um, makes everybody kind of the villain. Uh, you know, the, the, the sheriff, the, you know, Kirk Douglas's character, the wife, um, you don't even really like, uh, Minoza, the guy who's stuck in the hole. Um, you don't even really care about him all that much because he, well, I think purposefully like the movie doesn't, doesn't get you connected to him as a, as a character. Well, um, I don't know. Like I, I found him pretty interesting to watch. I think, like, well, I, yeah, everybody's interesting to watch, but not every. But basically, there are no characters that are that uh, you feel like you're on their side necessarily. I guess you you are on the side of of him in in the case. Yeah, um, yeah. I kind of I liked Leo's character. I felt like he was pretty sympathetic. I don't know. I I. I think so, and even the doctor character that comes to see—I mean, he's a side character, but I—I I, I agree with you. The main, the main focused characters are, are quite unlikable. I didn't even think about that. That's a good point. Yeah, um, yeah, extremely so. And and what's what's funny about that is, um, be because he's Billy Wild. I sometimes I don't really like that in movies uh, where all the characters are unlikable or where all the characters are. Um, are sort of you're not rooting for them uh it, it works rarely in movies because uh, i feel like you have to attach yourself to a character or you have to um you have to find yourself rooting for for someone usually uh there are definitely exceptions to that 
But but in this movie, I think it's so it's such a testament to his writing and to his his work as someone who understands people and understands characters that um, even though you you really despise uh, Chuck, you, you really despise Kirk Douglas's character. Um, you are you're totally on board for the rest of the movie. Like you want to see where it plays out. You want to see how how far he takes it, how far it goes. Um, you know, as much as you, I think I think Lorraine is probably his. It might be Wilder's like least attractive uh, female character. Not not just because well, I think Jan Sterling is is attractive in the movie, but like just as a person, like as a person, she's so disgusting, you know, she's just such a terrible person. Um, and, and he put, he makes that point over and over again. And at the, you know, um, sort of by the end, you feel like, like, Oh man, she's just like, she's just the worst. And I don't know. I, I find it so interesting that he's able to keep that balance of like, usually when you, when you have a bunch of a cast of characters that you hate, you're not invested in where the story goes. You know, you're not invested in where, in where things end up, but you know, you didn't even realize that you hated most of the characters when, yeah, you, you did, you know, like you didn't even, uh, make a note that it was, it was something that, that he was doing. But yeah, I think for me, um, it's one of the, it's one of the strengths of the movie because it, it definitely shows how good Wilder is. Um, but at the same time, it's a little bit, it's, it's a little bit exhausting by the end, I would say. Um, well, I found, um, Chuck Tatum's character to be like he, now that, now that you mentioned that they're all bad, they sort of represent different, like, styles of evil i guess you know um jan sterling's character is kind of greedy and driven by that where like um the sheriff is is very like power hungry like wants everybody to like him he's going for that re-election he's corrupt right and it's interesting how uh the the, the newspaper guy um al uh al the the newspaper the other the newspaper head. guy that yeah that um Kirk Douglas's character was working for right he has this stern unlikable nature to him but it mm -hmm. comes down to this hard standard right like he has a, a standard of truth that's introduced early on in the movie and I loved while wow, there's attention to detail I noticed it right away where Chuck Tatum compliments the newspaper head about how he wears belt and suspenders and like that continues to come back and around, but he's wearing belt and suspenders at the beginning of the movie. Right. Mm -hmm. And eventually he throws his suspenders away. And I found that Chuck Tatum's character is not like held to those standards, but he is held to one standard that he repeats constantly. And it's almost like there's an echo of similarity between, um, the the lead of the small newspaper and him they have that connection with the belt and suspender thing they have constant disagreements on how he's doing his job and things like that but there's this this line of of a moral standard for for both of them now 
um, the newspaper head, the old guy, like he he has a line that is almost ex- exclusive, like and it, it it doesn't really include a lot of people in his circle of trust. Um, whereas like Chuck Tatum's character has this this like line that is above all else kind of i don't know if i'm making a lot of sense but the one thing is that he's like for the individual right like that that individual um is the story it's the heart of it all right and it's almost like as soon as leo kind of spoilers right if you want to watch this movie um so you've been warned i'm just letting you know leo leo doesn't make it out of the cave and that like breaks um kirk douglas's character like he he really begins to be like that was the line I was never gonna cross right, whereas all the other characters don't seem to care, right? They didn't have a moral line, so it's like there's this comparison of extreme, like, l- like line right with the with the newspaper guy who's introduced early on, and already you can see that um, Kirk Douglas's character is sort of jumping around that, I'm almost making fun of it, right? Where he's like, oh, I'm not drinking in the office. That's just a bottle. And then he has a drink later on in the movie when he's technically still employed by him. Or, you know, um, he doesn't go to the rattlesnake thing because that's boring. He wants to do the crazy story. And it's almost like he's making fun of him. But when it comes down to it, he actually does have a line himself, right? Nobody else seems to care. Nobody else seems to have that that line. Those are the two with like a moral... Uh, like conviction and even the lead of the newspaper doesn't have any sort of conviction besides judgment over um Chuck Tatum's character or Chuck Tatum in the movie, right? Uh sorry, I'm like switching the names back and forth. That's Kirk Douglas's character. So it's it's I found that to be the compelling hook at the end because they're all unlikable, but that line of morality coming strong and almost changing the entire demeanor of Chuck Tatum in the film, like that drew, that really brought me through to the end of the movie. And I agree with you. It, it, it can be, it's a little bit exhausting, but once that shift begins, once they say there's no way the drill is going to make it. And then the doctor puts a deadline, right? You can see this sudden shift that, that, that is the great wilder moment where it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to give a ton of complexity to a character that you think you've pinned down. You know, that's, that's what's so great about his character, despite his maybe evil side, like that really resonated with me and, and gave the film a lot of credit. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I, what's so funny about this movie is it's so dense, um, in the, in what it's talking about. Like there's so many ideas layered on top of each other. And even that is, is kind of what pulls the movie through for me is like, yeah, it, you know, as much as maybe it also contributes to to the exhaustion element of it <laughs> um but th- there's there's so much in the movie of about um you know wh- what it means to be a good storyteller what it means to be a good um you know obviously they like you were talking about you know al has a as a much stricter a stricter line about telling the truth um wh- whereas chuck he has he has a you know, he can bend the truth if he wants to, but but the, he he gets to sort of the soul of people, right? You know, he gets to the soul of of what the that's what he says. You know, he's it, it's about the heart. I'm hitting him right here in the, in the right. heart, um, and and so he has this connection to 
storytelling that is much more um, loose with with the truth, <laughs> right? But is is as he sees it, much more effective in bringing it to more people. Um, and what's so interesting about that is that the 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 people aspect is really what's dangerous in the story, right? The 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 fact that there's people given, you know, people are giving the story attention. That's what is actually what kills him, um, you know, in the end. It's the fact that that he's willing to extend this because more people and more people would be interested in it. You know, the fact that there's a big carnival by the end, it starts with just a handful of people and it grows and grows and grows. And then, you know, they're, they're selling out, out burgers and everybody's, everybody's invested in making this as big a story as possible. Um, and what I find so fascinating about Wilder is he's hitting to something that is, that was true then was true 30 years from then was true now you know he's hitting to something that that is is eternally true and and maybe he's like the earliest one to notice it i don't know but he he's he's the one who he was telling people the dangers of of sort of this this rapid attention or this this you know hype machine that that sort of puts people in jeopardy in a way that that maybe they wouldn't have been before, um, and and it's one of the most cynical parts of the movie is that he, Wilder I I don't think he he even really provides a solution to it or a, a you know something to. Like there's no there's no hope in in what Wilder is saying because everybody else is trying to do it too, and and he gets that you know Wilder's not like he doesn't there's no beat journalist on the on the story who's like oh you really shouldn't do this or you know the the sheriff is involved in it too that even his wife even you know Minoza's wife is is in on the you know on the on the grift essentially. And, uh, it's so, so cynical. It's so, um, dark, <laughs> you know, and it, it, it really is what elevates this movie from being, um, sort of just an unlikable watching an unlikable protagonist to something that is, um, I kind of like what you said, actually, sort of almost like a fairy tale, a modern day fairy tale. Um, cause it is, it's, you know, it's, it's a cautionary tale of, of something that is very dangerous and still very dangerous, maybe more than ever. Yeah, it's almost commenting on trends or things that people care about for a short period of time for no re like like it's almost saying that like the hype or the trend kills people, right? And maybe and that's an over exaggeration or a literal interpretation of what it's showing, but I think today more than ever it's crazy how much that's sort of come to be right um everybody's seen here's a here's a stupid example but it's the one that came to my head right away i don't know why of all the things of all the of all the nonsense that we've experienced in 2020 this is the thing that came to mind um those hoverboards you remember that when everybody mm -hmm. was like into hoverboards and yeah. how many injury videos you saw like around <laughs> that you know I'm sure someone died on a hoverboard, but it's it's stuff like that where it might not be a news story, but the entire general public is participating in some regard. And now, you know, if, you know, Fox News and CNN are saying 
oh my gosh, hoverboards are killing people now. <laughs> like that's just the new spin. Whereas it used to be like last week, it was like that's the trend. So we're gonna dedicate an hour to fill up airtime or something like that to talk about hoverboard founder. You know, well, do you do you remember lawn darts? Not at all. Well, obviously, because they're they're illegal. They've been illegal since the eighties. And lawn darts were like a big thing. What? Are, what was, the, why are you asking? Oh, Isaac, do you remember lawn darts? Well, Please, I, was, I'm, I wasn't even alive. <laughs> I was just wondering if you had ever heard of this this story because no. I think it's a good example of kind of what you're talking about. Um, there was a uh, there was so lawn darts are basically just like you know they're they're darts they're just giant darts uh, that you throw in the grass um, you know in like hoops. You you put the hoops on the ground. You throw a metal dart in the grass, right? Um, Who thought of this? Is a terrible. This sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> were they big? Yeah, they were big. Um, <laughs> yeah, and someone, uh, someone, a little girl died um, because they were being obviously being irresponsible with the lawn darts, um, and and the the government banned the lawn darts because because like this one girl died but like it was because it it got so much attention it got, this story got like blown up and, and there was this certain there was like this huge thing about about ah lawn darts are dangerous um and it's like it's like i don't know it was it was just blown up from from this one incident you know there's this there's this one thing that happened um and and there was there was a a hype hype machine around the telling the story of it and and that's really what you know w- what kind of went out of control so and cameron says bring lawn darts back already Jeez. i don't care about lawn darts i'm just i'm just saying <laughs> this is an example of things be, being blown up to a to a, a a degree like a national level when it's just you know people were probably doing what they shouldn't have been doing you know what i find so cool about the way that Wilder makes this statement is how it really impacts the individual and also how the person who is facilitating this has an individualistic mindset in a way, right? Instead of a concern around, like, the group. You know, uh, like, thinking about news articles and, like, today, right, where where they have, like, these mass numbers of people affected by certain things right what no matter the situation in the last 10 years they do that sort of thing like what's what's compelling about chuck tatum is his commitment to the person alone right and how when that story dies it dies with the person it really punches him in the gut right that like i don't know like i just i find that to be kind of hopeful in a way where it's like the people that are writing the stories about the individuals really do have somewhat of a good heart, but they could just be like corrupted, you know, like in this, in this terrible way because of their past mistreatment or, or they're, they're stuck in this rat race. So they have to like, it's, it's basically their living. Right. And it's basic, like essentially Chuck Tatum is saying like, I give up on reporting and I, you know, he doesn't have a choice, but he gives up on life in a way too with that. Because after his, he, he, he gets a wound, um, from Jan Sterling's character, right? He doesn't treat it. He's like, it doesn't matter anymore. Cause like the story and the individual is dead. I might as well be dead too. Right. 
you know? So maybe maybe there's a couple different interpretations of that, but I found his um his conclusion in the film to do what was right for the individual like it, it all came back to that, you know. I just, I don't know why I found that like comparison between like the group and the individual to be so compelling in the writing. I mean, it's just it 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 shows how much meat is on the bone, you know. Like there's there's a lot to take away from it. I totally agree with you, Cameron. This movie has so much to talk about in terms of like um, themes or big big questions to ask yourself. Um, I don't think it's refined the same way that some of the past movies we've watched are, right? There, There's definitely more of a... How do I say... Like, okay, this is getting way too technical in terms of microphones, but some microphones shoot in a way that's called like super cardioid where they're like a cone pattern. They pick up a pretty good amount of sound in front of them. This one feels more like omnidirectional where it's like it picks it up from all angles, Right where it's like it's really just pulling from all these different places and you can take what you want and think what you want. And I think that's where maybe an audience member gets a mixed feeling or a feeling of like you can really take what you want from it in a way and pull from what what you think. It's a little bit wider than what Wilder usually does compared to his like more condensed approach, I think. I think in some ways maybe... Um Although I think it's a very strong, it has a very strong moral statement that it's saying. Maybe it's, maybe it's, um, but I'm just, I, see, I, this, this is the problem. Like I, I have a hard time. Yes. I know something has to do with morality in it. <laughs> what that statement is, you can really warp it to how you want to sure 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 no i see i see what you mean i i think maybe what it is is he has a um in this movie he's he's kind of condemning lots of aspects of lots of different things um and and it's more of a in some of his other movies i think you know sunset boulevard maybe specifically he's condemning sort of how we treat um, how how you how Hollywood treats old stars, how we treat sort of people who are who are out of the limelight, um, and how that comes to affect people people in the future. Um, in in you know the apartment, he's talking about sort of miss missing the forest for the trees, or um, or I guess actually the opposite. He's he's talking about missing the 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 tre- the individual trees for the forest. <laughs> Um, right. you know, getting, getting somewhere to the, get, trying to get to the top of, of, of some, you know, some idea, uh, or some, you know, some company or trying to get to the top of, of something, um, I'm missing the individual interactions in between there, missing being a, being a person. Um, in this movie, it's not quite as clear necessarily what he's, what he's trying to get at, but it's definitely, he, he's. I think it's more specific, actually, than than some of his other movies because he always considered himself to be a journalist uh, as a filmmaker. He always considered himself to be sort of telling telling stories as a um, as someone who was who was trying to get to the truth, essentially, um, someone who was trying to to extract uh, truth out of out of fiction is what he always considered himself to be. Um, and I think this movie is, is him in some ways recognizing that it's much, it's much more difficult, um, 
than it seems at first glance to get the truth out of some to balance the truth element with the uh, popularity element, right? Um, so that's him just as a as a filmmaker. Um, and at the same time, he's saying like, what what are the lengths that people go to to make something, um, to get something to trend, to get something to to be. Uh, to be the hot new thing, to get something to be popular. What are the lengths that someone someone will go? And what are the lengths that someone should go? And he doesn't really give an answer to to where it should go, but he definitely he definitely um he definitely knows where it shouldn't. <laughs> right. You know, he knows where the line is crossed. And so for me that's that's what I find most interesting about this movie is he I think he's talking to himself in a lot of ways as a as a filmmaker as a storyteller it it's something that hits home for for him because he's he sees how much um he he sees how how things can be twisted and can be devastated um and i think i think wilder was a very um was a very morally driven person uh, that's that's just the sense that I get from from watching his movies and watching interviews with him. He he had a he had a strong sense of right and wrong, um, and I think he probably identifies more with the with the Al character um, than than he does with the Chuck character. Um, well, I don't know because I feel like Al is like he's the guy that makes documentaries. You know, like there's no fluff at all. Yeah. Right? So I don't know. Like I think. I hadn't thought of it in terms of like maybe a filmmaking or story filmmaking storyteller perspective, but yeah, I think uh, that totally gives Chuck Tatum's character a ton of complexity, and that's a good angle to think about it. Cameron. See, this is why you're the expert. I'm like kind of perplexed by that proposition overall. So I'm like, whoa, yeah, yeah, and and. Uh, you know, and you can see some of the characters who are um, around the story as having similar um, similar meanings, I guess, because because the boy who is who's the photographer, what's it, Herbie? Yeah, um, yeah. The boy who's the photographer, he's kind of caught in the mix of things and and really like out of his depth. He he doesn't have a whole lot of agency in this movie, but part of it is he's. Um, he's being strung along by Chuck in a way that, that, you know, he gets, he gets in too deep essentially. Um, and you could see the other newspaper, um, heads to be like studio heads or something like that. Yeah. Where they're all trying to, they're trying to get the sign on the story, right. Which could be a film, but then there's also like a dissatisfaction in the way that Chuck Tatum delivers, um, especially towards the end when he gets the New York deal. Right. He's so concerned about Leo and his state that he doesn't write anything. And then it's almost like, you know, the New York office is pissed because they don't have a story. They're behind. Everybody else got the story quick. And then when Chuck tries to tell the truth, which is like, I basically, it's my fault that he's dead. I'm a murderer. Reporter gone insane for a story. No one wants to hear that. You know, nobody wants to hear that story at all. Right. So it's yeah, to to overlay the film scene and what was happening with Wilder at the time is quite curious. And the fact that this movie flopped 
is it was almost like you can't handle the truth in a way, you know? <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's totally how I see it. Is that you know, audiences did not like it because they didn't. It's condescending to them too, in, in some ways. You know, he's yeah, he's yeah. talking about you. He's talking about the people who are who are interested in the next trend or interested in the next new thing. Um, and he he doesn't he doesn't necessarily look down on those people, but he definitely like says that they're part of the problem and they're contributing to this element of of danger or this element of of sickness or unwellness um, in in you know in this situation. Like as an but audience it, member, you don't want to. Well, most of the time, you really don't want to be condescended to. Um, yeah, it's because it, the, the masses are like sheep. They show up. There's that one kind of family that you get to see the perspective of all the events and how they're having a good time. There's that kind of uncomfortable scene where after Leo dies and they're packing up and leaving, the wife of that family's like, I'm sad. And yeah, like, she just oh. cries. <laughs> He's like, oh, it's okay. You know, and I was like, I instantly thought of, you know, all those people that cry when celebrities die. I mean, I know we, we shouted out someone that died, but we really enjoyed Arrested Development, but we didn't know that person, you yeah. know? Like, we're not going to sit here and cry on this podcast. We didn't know anything about her, right? Besides the fact that she's incredibly talented and hilarious in that show. And so it's like, some people go to great lengths to be like, oh my goodness, I, w I need to be at the funeral. Like, I just, it was, I'm devastated. And I'm like, you didn't even talk to that person once, you know? Like, that, I felt like this gut turning inside of me, whereas... You know, the only reason I bring this up is because my girlfriend, Juliana, is just an incredibly empathetic person. And she's has an, a, an extremely authentic heart, too. So, like, when people die and that are that are famous, and even if she has, like, the smallest ounce of, you know, connection or any sort of impact, she, get, she becomes super sad. Um, she feels deeply moved by it, right? And I just sit there kind of like a jerk and I'm like why like you didn't even know that person you know it's terrible but it's true I always I always say that and she gets mad at me but um like I I saw that scene play out with the family where like the wife starts crying and the husband's like it'll be okay you know and it's just like ooh like I didn't I didn't like I didn't like seeing that you know what I mean cuz I didn't know it I didn't it it felt wrong, you know. It was like it was pointing the finger at me a little bit, and and I was like, "That's powerful, you know. Give it to me. I I appreciate like people calling out the truth in in those moments, right?" Um, but there, I was also gonna point out the scene. There's that moment where the um, miner talks about, "Why are you guys using the drill?" Right? Yeah, the skeptic. Yeah. That is such a tense moment, you know, <laughs> because he's it. He's like really putting putting uh tatum's character on the, uh, in the moment like the radio host is like what do you mean like they could do it a different way what do you mean they could have saved this guy fast all of a sudden and they shut him down quick people people are like the sheep are quick to take tension away where this one lady's like i got stuck in an elevator once you know it's just it's suddenly like yeah it's 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 well done and it, it kind of um to overlay the scene of hollywood around that yeah Cameron, you are an expert, dude. Wow. Well, yeah, I, I would say, you know, just to kind of close out this, the talk of this movie, um, there's, there's a couple 
just like minor trivia things that I wanted to bring up. Um, one was that this was, um, this was somewhat based on a real story. Um, so it was about the, they mention it in the script. It's called the Floyd Collins story. Um, oh. and actually <laughs> when this, when this film, uh, came out, there was a lawsuit, um, that, <laughs> that came out after this after this film and it was basically there's an actor who owned the rights to the story of Floyd Collins stuck in a cave um and he sued his name was Victor Desney um he sued Billy Wilder for copyright infringement um and won <laughs> and they settled uh, out of court for like 14 grand but still, I mean, it's like, that's it's I find it funny because it's very it's obviously very inspired by that story but like is it <laughs> like he yeah, owns, now you just he make owns yourself the look story. way worse, dude. That you yeah, are the terrible. Chuck Tatum guy all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, another thing to mention about sort of the surrounding, uh, I guess, like you know, the the drama about when this came out um, was it lost so much money that uh, he was actually so Wilder um, was he was basically uh, in debt from this movie. Um, not him personally, but he put the, he basically like owed the studio money essentially. Um, and his next movie, uh, was a huge success. It was Stalag 17. Um, it was a huge success and he was supposed to get a big, um, bonus from that, from the success of that movie. Um, instead he, they they took Paramount took his bonus and said that it was it was basically like an IOU from the studio. Wow, that's jacked up. Yeah, it's really rude. So like, why th- is again, he still with Paramount at that point? He was under contract, so they own oh. basically you you sign a contract with the studio to make a certain amount of movie. And they still do it today, but a certain amount of movies in a certain amount of time. I think his was like a ten year contract or something, um, and. Yeah, it's I mean it's it's just rough. And that that was the last that was part of the last straw. Like like I've been saying there was like a a snowballing of bad blood between him and Paramount. Um there was, you know, obviously he he told uh he told Louis B. Mayer um some expletive things in <laughs> after Sunset Boulevard. Um he, you know, this movie was a big was a big failure, a big flop. Uh, they took his bonus from the next movie, and when they put out Stalag Seventeen, they um, released the movie internationally. Obviously, but um, they released it in Germany, uh, and it centers around like a POW camp. I think I mentioned this before. Oh yes, 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 yes. And they changed some stuff, right? Yeah, they changed the the spy from being a German spy to being a Pole, um, and his family was. Many of them were from Poland. Um, he, all of them, all of his family died in the Holocaust, um, and he was so offended by that that he was like, "No, I'm, I'm never, I'm yeah. never making a movie with you again. Um, never, never going to work with a studio again." Basically, so yeah, um, yeah. So that was kind of the bad blood of of this movie. Um, yeah, other than the large amount of extras, um, they also had to build a cliff face, (laughs) um, like a, like a, you know, like a life-size cliff face. Um, because that by the end of the filming, it was under, 
uh, different ownership. Mm. Um, and yeah. And so they had to, they had to change the, um, they had to, you know, rebuild the, uh, a copy of the face. Oh, that um, sucks. Yeah. It's no, it's, <laughs> I think it costs like 30 grand, Oh, geez. which back in, you know, 1950, that's not, a, that's <laughs> not yeah. an insignificant amount of money. Um, yeah, uh, uh, as f- I think that's all. Um, I was trying. I mean, th- there was one other. Oh yeah, sorry. The just to mention the big uh, about, more about the big carnival, right? Um, this was that was the name of the movie uh, until the DVD release um, that was that sort of restored the name of the movie. Uh, but yeah, but before that, it was it was called the Big Carnival, which is ridiculous. Like that doesn't even. <laughs> oh, now I don't know what to call the episode, Cameron. It's Ace in the Hole. It's Ace. In the Hole. All right, all right. Um, Let's get into some ratings, Cameron, and then I want to do closing thoughts on Wilder. Unless you got anything else to add before we get into recommendations, Cameron? What do you stamp this film with? We rate on a scale of for everyone, for casuals, for the curious, and for the cinephiles. Hopefully that's self-explanatory enough, Cameron. What do you stand? I would say that's probably it's probably for the curious. Um, it's probably it. It's not his most fun or enjoyable or delightful movie. Uh, and with that, if you want to go into a movie being like, "Yeah, this is going to be this is going to like hit me in a certain way," um, like the, you you have to know what you're getting into with this movie. Um, personally i think it's not really for everybody i would show i would show people like five other movies before this one yeah i was introducing them to wilder but it's it's a really good example of him at his most sort of like biting and critical a hundred percent yeah like i i'm with you there i think it's for the curious i really wanted to put this middle like smack in the center between curious and casual because i don't think it's like in terms of a ten, like it's still a f- it's a fine movie. I just I think that you're totally right when you say you'd rather show so many other films first. Um, I think you could pass over this one. I think if you are a like just really into Wilder, you got to see it. You know, you got to see what it's all about. And I think with Cameron's context around his experience with studios and all that stuff, like. It brings a new light. I'm I'm kind of wild in this episode just talking to you about. It. I'm like, oh yeah, whoa, you know, like I'm st- I'm taken back. I don't know how I missed that. So, yeah, I think that's sort of my rating with Ace in the Hole. Cameron, I want you to give some closing thoughts on Wilder. I know you did a great introduction. You put you lined up some some awesome films for us to watch, and then you feel free to ask me any questions about Wilder and my thoughts on him overall as a filmmaker. We've only done this one other time with um. Scorsese. Scorsese, which I absolutely love Scorsese. And um, I think I'm I'm leaning towards the same feeling with Wilder. I'm actually, I'm quite surprised, surprised, pleasantly surprised. Yeah. um, I mean, closing thoughts about Wilder. I I don't really have too many uh, other than the stuff that I've already talked about, because I think his movies speak for themselves. I will just say, you know, as we're closing out this month, he really had a, a bad 
last few years in terms of his his filmmaking and you know personally his just in his life too um you know he his his partner his writing partner IAL Diamond um he passed away from cancer and he actually didn't tell Wilder that he had he had cancer until he was on his deathbed um and he was really hurt by that in you know personally because he was like this is my this has been my writing partner for like 25 years. This is someone who like I care about deeply and he didn't even tell me, you know, he didn't even let me know. And he was, he was devastated. And also Diamond was younger, uh, was younger than Wilder at the time. So it, it hurt him really, really bad. Um, in his last couple of years, he made uh, really not that many movies, um, his last movie was called Buddy Buddy. Uh, it was also starring Jack Lemmon. I actually haven't seen Buddy Buddy, um, but I hear it's really not very good. Um, it definitely uh, has a reputation for being sort of his worst movie. Um, his second to last movie actually was one that I that we watched in class, uh, which I thought was was pretty interesting, although it was definitely you could tell he was like trying to trying to do other ideas trying to do sorry trying to do ideas that he had already done before it was called fedora um and yeah apparently it was the uh, filming was a complete disaster um he was he was super grumpy the whole time he was very <laughs> um very uh at that point it was like past his his prime in and everybody saw him as sort of the old, the old guard, the old fuddy duddy. Um, and you know, even the actors were kind of fed up with him at the, at the end. And so, um, he made those last two movies and he didn't make a, another movie until he, he died. He made the la his last movie almost 20 years before or 20, about 20 years before he, he passed away. So, um, sad end to, to his life. I, I wish he was more accepted or more able to, to sort of change with the times, I guess. Um, maybe not change or just be accepted more, uh, in his, in his old age. I really think he, he, he almost had a, um, a Sunset Boulevard ending. You know, he, he really, it felt like he was, people around him said that it, it was very much like he wasn't accepting what was happening. Um, and, uh, well, it wasn't accepting the change. It wasn't accepting that people didn't didn't like his movies anymore, um, mm. which is very depressing, very sad. <laughs> um, but in any case, he left an amazing legacy. Is still one of my favorite directors. Um, every time I watch one of his movies, I feel like I dig something more, dig something deeper out of it. Uh, it he he just he transcends in a way that I think very few other directors do. Um, and I would recommend anybody watches his, his, you know, top three, top four movies. I would definitely say, you know, he's a must, a must see from this era and a must see, you know, before you die. So I completely agree with you, Cameron. I am quite moved by Wilder's movies to a point that I kind of feel like I'm I'm moving towards like movie snobbery. <laughs> I like I have not watched so many films that have such loud things to say. Like unbelievably clear conviction, 
and you know just like food for thought like it is i i'm shocked that an old movie could have so much depth and maturity in them you need to watch the apartment if you have not seen the apartment you absolutely need to watch it it is heavy it is a movie that i can't stop thinking about um and it's been a while since I've seen a movie like that. And it doesn't even feel like a movie that I'm trying to pull things from. Like, I was just thinking about this the other day. You know, I really enjoy, like, Christopher Nolan's Inception. Like, that is a, an awesome movie. It's visually cool. It's so fun to watch, right? But when I really think about it, what is it saying? I don't, like, you could, I can pull things from it, but I don't really know if it's saying that much. Do you know what I mean? It is saying something, but I don't know if it's saying that much, you know? Um, it's masked by all this action. There, it, it essentially needs to hit all, uh, not all, but it needs to hit check marks to be entertaining. And Billy Wilder's films do not hit check marks. As a matter of fact, they are like, I am gonna, th- like, and, and I think the pinnacle of it is the apartment. That's why I'm bringing up this film. It It, it is being like, I am unapologetically going to shove you into something that is going to convict you in the moment. You know, I I am going to challenge sort of the way you live moving forward. And I can't say a lot of filmmakers have ever done anything close to that for me. Right. Yeah. Um, I think Scorsese gets really, really close to it with definitely a fun spin on his films. Those are, those are much more, um, popcorn chewing i guess but to scorsese's credit like his his uh his latest film um the irishman i i believe has some of that energy with it right i was just so taken back by the apartment so entertained by witness for the prosecution and calling back to our earlier episode um just surprised by sunset boulevard i think like I didn't know old movies had the ability to do that, you know? And there's no doubt in my mind that Billy Wilder is one of the greatest directors. So, I I mean, you've you've converted me, Cameron. <laughs> I, I do not know, like, yes, like Scorsese had some good stuff, but I'm like, I never thought I would rate, like, black and white films with such confidence for everyone, you know? Yeah. With such confidence. I have never, for this show, felt like I needed to sit my parents down and make them watch movies. <laughs> and I have done that with Wilder. So, you know, bravo to him. I'm sorry about his depressing ending, but there that does not discredit his exquisite work. It is, it is um, something not to be slept on. Even if it's black and white, you'd need to watch it. That is coming from someone who does not like bad sound and black and white movies. Watch the apartment, dude. Watch it. I would I would recommend doing Witness for the Prosecution first because it's fun, and I love um, Wilhelm or whatever the guy's name is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that guy is just fantastic. I can't believe you hadn't you hadn't seen that movie, Cameron. It was so good. Yeah, it's funny. It's not really considered in his his like top ten. Usually, I can't um, believe that. Which is which is funny, isn't it? It's like he has so many movies that are like. They're all they're all just excellent. Yeah. How does it feel first and foremost to be basically in like the top one or two percent of the population in terms of a filmmaker? Like you know more than almost anybody on the planet. 
<laughs> I don't Billy even. Wilder. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's surprising to me. Like, I can't believe how many people have given me a strange look when I bring up the fact that the last five episodes of a podcast that I do weekly are on a great director named Billy Wilder. They're like, who? <laughs> and occasionally I will say Sunset Boulevard and most of the time I will get a I think I've heard of that movie like that that's as far as it gets right yeah so yeah, yeah I just man this this guy like I'm gonna I'm gonna say like I don't know how I I can understand how school would push you to it Cameron but I really recommend for anyone who's interested in character I think like just complexity and reality and just having an audience completely buy it for these people that are written on paper and should not have like so much power behind them like you you need to watch his movies you need to see how he's able to transcend time and just like stick with you you know um I was talking about the apartment this morning with my mom uh, before I left. And she was like so fired up about how much she hated the executives in that movie. <laughs> She's like, I just wanted I just wanted them to, you know, get their balls chopped off or something like that. And I was like, dang, mom, like so 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 passionate about it. But she still like like fired up about how well the movie's written, you know? Yeah. I'm just like I I I'm blown away that's all i can say i'm blown away by it i don't think ace in the hole is is the movie that everyone needs to see i think you said it well cameron but there's there's too many good ones that i've 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 been a part of viewing that i'm just like i can't ignore it anymore like i just he's he's won me over on black and white films <laughs> just curse you cameron curse you is what I i'm say. glad because you know it, it took this long into the podcast but it, it happened eventually now you won't you won't give me a hard time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and we've watched a lot of a lot of good black and white films. I think so. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's. I, I I think one of my favorite things about watching black and white films is how shocked older people look when they walk in and you're watching a black and white film. That's probably <laughs> the most entertaining experience uh, for me. Like Juliana's dad has walked in multiple times and he's like, "Is that is that Kirk Douglas?" Like he's just so he's like what what are you guys watching like he was so like uh, interested like why are you watching this you know I was yeah, like oh, yeah something I gotta watch for the podcast you know and he was like oh and then he just goes on and on about Kirk Douglas and I don't even know who he is so well we we will have to watch Paths of Glory at one point I think we'll definitely do a Kubrick deep deep dive but um, yeah Paths of Glory is basic I think it, that's Kirk Douglas's best role um, but. This was actually his breakout role. I just wanted to mention that before we leave. Um, it was oh. like his first, his first big, uh, big. I mean, he was in stuff before this, obviously, but it was his like first gig as the leading man. So, yeah, it was good. He, yeah, very convincing, and you could tell he's got that actor energy. Totally. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that pretty much wraps it up for this episode. I'm sad to see Wilder go, but I'm sure we're gonna watch another one of his films eventually. I do want to see uh, Foreign Affair. Yeah. So. Um, we'll, we'll have to figure that out. Maybe we'll have to buy another copy or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, next month we decided we are going to do sci-fi movies. It's going to be oh, a lot of fun. Oh, yes. Um, we're going to start 
maybe at the beginning and go to up to now, I'd like to do some, so maybe I'll have the vote be like modern movies, modern sci-fi, sci-fi could be fun. Um, I think there's a lot there. There's a lot to squeeze out of sci-fi. Um, and I think it'll just be fun. Uh, it'll be a yeah. fun topic. I know we already covered the thing, so don't get upset if we don't have that on the list. And a thing from the, another world, mm-hmm. which is probably a retro um, one. I do want. I I really want to see some good like black and white alien movies or something like that. Like it's got to be in there, Cameron. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Because um, I'm thinking about. Well, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it. But yeah, we'll we'll talk about it. To to our uh, voting patrons, I want you to know I have not seen Annihilation. And I have not seen Arrival, and I don't think I've seen District Nine. So you see Blade are, Runner twenty forty nine? Of course, I've seen that. Yes, oh, that's great. That's a great movie. Is that really? Uh, I guess it is considered sci fi. I'm yeah, thinking totally. Aliens right now. I'm like stuck in Alien stuff. So, um, yeah, no, I saw Blade Runner twenty. That would that would be an interesting episode. We'll let the patrons decide for the final one. I'm excited to get into sci fi month with you, Kim, and I think we're gonna we're gonna get away from deep meanings and powerful <laughs> things and into strange obscure existential thought and what does this mean or am i really g- really just referencing the cold war who knows you know so <laughs> yeah all right well, well i'm lo- i'm looking forward to that guys we post every monday we appreciate your support tell friends and family give us a rating on itunes all the good stuff patreon.com slash ecfs productions if you want to support us and we post here every monday and the video version is late most of the time because of my awful schedule and content creating. Um, yeah. So come back next Monday. We'll post on all the good platforms like Spotify and iTunes, but iTunes is where the, the ratings break the algorithm. So help us break the algorithm and subscribe to us at ECFS productions on YouTube. I'm done shilling Juzo. Do not scream into your radio set. Thank he doesn't you. like that. You, sh- you shill twice. <laughs> It is what it is, man. As you can tell, we're covered in money. That's why I shill every time, right? <laughs> Just fantastically rich. It's called engagement. I'm growing a passive income multimedia <laughs> network. <laughs> whatever they, whatever those pyramid scheme people say. A bunch of bull crap. All right. Well, uh, we'll close it on that. Uh, and we'll see you next Monday. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast executive produced by Darren O'Neill. If you want your name read in the credits of the show, you can check us out at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions to achieve this status. Thank you, Darren, for the support. And for the rest of you, we appreciate your support as well. Have a good one.